0: Welcome to 3Thoughts On. Today our conversation is about augmented reality or AR and my guest is Ray Kallmeyer who is the co-founder and CEO at Enclue. Enclue is a company that empowers creators with tools to rediscover our world. Ray spent the early part of his career in the video game industry including time at Sony, Fireforge and KickSci. Most recently, he was a studio executive for NC Soft. Ray believes technology exists to empower us as storytellers to transform our world, that technology can empower creativity, and that his work explores that boundary between digital and real forms. He works with organic shapes that are reimagined using programmed shaders that combines math with physical forms. If you're in the Legnona area, it is includes technology that powers the VERSE immersive theater. VERSE uses brand new, never before seen holographic rendering technology. You wear headsets, but this is not virtual reality. There is no headache and the equipment is designed to render only in front of you, expanding the world around you rather than replacing it entirely. Our conversation was, far more than just a technological conversation. Both Ray and I believe that augmented reality can play an important role in solving some of the problems that we've inherited in this digital age. We both believe that augmented reality is a new medium of expression in this new world. But we both also believe that augmented reality can be a fundamentally social technology and that it can help us solve a lot of the challenges we experience today socially and technologically. I hope that you enjoy our conversation. And now, Ray Kallmeyer. Welcome to Three Thoughts On. Today, I have Ray Kallmeyer. Ray, how are you today?
1: I'm doing fantastic, Raphael. It's great to be here. How are you doing today?
0: I am doing great. Thank you so much for the opportunity to have this conversation. I am very excited. Uh, this is something that we had a couple of conversations about and i'm I'm really happy that we got to the point where we can share some of these thoughts with the with the audience. But before we get started, uh, if you don't mind providing the audience with a, a little brief introduction on on who you are and how did you end up doing what you do today?
1: Yeah, thank you. So uh, I'm, a, I'm a former games industry developer, director, and executive. Um, but long before I was a professional developer, uh, I was uh, a game player. Actually, I started playing games very young. I was born the same year as Mario. And uh, uh, you know, when I was seven years old, I was fortunate to grab a programming book. Um, that my mom had from one of her classes at the time. She was taking some programming classes at a local local college, and uh, I, you know, put a couple algorithms in and was hooked almost instantly. Um, this is back when it was, you know, uh, Basic was the language I picked up, um, and made my first game not too long after that. It was a kind of a guess the number game. Um, before long, I was building 2D side scroller games, and then in high school, I kind of got into shaders um, and then got a little bit more deep on the 3D rendering side. Then uh, right out of high school, the uh, the first job I got outside of flipping pizzas, which, uh, which is probably one of the most satisfying jobs I've ever had, to be honest, uh, was actually testing video games for Sony. Um, all sorts of games, sports games like uh, World Tour Soccer, shooter games uh, like Killzone was one of the ones I worked on. Uh, and that kind of start, sparked my my interest in taking that career further. Uh, what I loved about it initially was how many different pursuits the the games industry weaved together in order to create a compelling Uh, piece of media. So you have the the engineers like I was very systematic analytical thinking. Um, You have the designers, big vision, kind of cool ideas fitting together. You have the artists, attention to detail, beauty, um, you know, geometry. Then you have the producers, folks that kind of get it all done. You have the musicians, you have the narrative writers. Uh, It's like all the things that uh, big budget Hollywood production requires and all the things that a software development lifecycle requires kind of coming together in this unique emergent thing that was new for humanity i mean video games didn't really exist as an industry before the 80s there were small little teams here and there but all of a sudden within my lifetime it had turned into this thing that was uh culturally relevant and also felt like there was something new to it something that was more than just novelty Uh, i would actually now look back and looking back on it say that what was true then was that we were at the tip of an iceberg of a new kind of storytelling uh, one that was, you know, both cinematic but but interactive at the same time. Like the choices you make in a video game steer the story, steer the outcome, and because of that, they draw you in. They're more engaging, and uh, that was really appealing to me. So I spent, um, you know, probably about uh, 15 years working my way up in the games industry. You know, starting from a tester, then being an engineer, then doing some design, and then doing direction, and then actually running studios, and then even doing mergers and acquisitions. Uh, for companies like Ubisoft, which a lot of folks have heard of, and NCSoft, um, which if you're international, a lot of folks have heard of. And uh, it was around 2016 when uh, I was really, you know, moved fast in my career, doing very well for myself, but at the same time starting to feel a little bit hollow in my day-to-day work. The things that really drew me to games early on, right out of high school, were no longer um, compelling me to kind of keep putting in the hours and, and the hard work required to be successful. Like you know, Killzone is a great game um, that I made when I was you know 22, 23. Uh, when I was 33, uh, did not feel as interested in making another shooter game. Um, not not to not to say that people who are you know expressing that kind of gameplay, there's nothing wrong with that. But i personally just didn't feel as connected and i felt like i wanted to do something more um with a positive impact with my time you know we, there's only so many hours in the day so many days in the week and i felt like i wanted to find a way to take my skill set uh you know 3d development management production and, and turn it into something that yielded a, a, a greater social good uh so that kind of fast forward to 2016 when a friend of mine actually uh, him and i were former colleagues he was in the uh, lab at, at, um, at Cardinal Health. One of my internships when I was getting my degree was at this uh, medical tech com- medical tech company, and we were working with infusion pumps and experimenting with the future of communication and and, uh, and and medical technology before it was cool. And uh, he was he was a brilliant guy. And he, anyway, years later, he reached out and said, "Ray, I've got uh, early access to this new thing. It's called the Hololens." Uh, and it's this brand new device for Microsoft. It's, it's an augmented reality headset. And this is right when the, the original VR hype wave for the DK1 was coming around, 2015, 2016. He said, Ray, do you want one of these devices? We're only gonna ship you know, 20 of them around to developers around the, the, the world, do, do you want one? And I said, Charles, you know, what the heck are you doing? You don't need to ask, just send me the device. Of course I wanna play with holograms. This is exactly you know, what I wanna do it by time. Why, what's, what's the question? Um, So he did, and uh, I I got it a couple days later, put it on, and it was just like a lightning bolt hit me from the sky. I will never forget how immediate the transformation was in my perspective of what I was here to do, Uh, that there was so much potential for technology and, and our relationship with it to change dramatically for the better, um, and, and for the worse, I think there's a lot of power with the technology, but as soon as we start putting our digital worlds into the physical one, you actually anchoring interactive digital content in, in the world around us, um, some really incredible avenues for human expression, human creativity, human connection, human collaboration were open. And at the same time, I mean, back in 2016... The tools were atrocious, and that's not to say that the people that were working on it were not brilliant. They were, but it was just very early on, you know. So we're talking, you know, like 1970s level of computer support, not 2010s level of computer support. So there's just a lot of stuff that didn't exist yet. Like getting a file on a device was incredibly painful, um, and so there's a real need, I think, a real gap in the market to start approaching what does it look like to build infrastructure, build tools um, for this new ecosystem, and, and that was immediately appealing to me. So. You know, within two weeks, I had left my job at NCSoft, which was a hard lead. I left a lot of really great people. Unfortunately, they're 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 still all doing really great things. Uh, but I but I dove in feet first or face first really into this new spatial computing ecosystem, and uh, I guess the rest is is starting to become history. But that's that's really how I got to where we are today.
0: Well, thank you for that intro. I wanted to kind connect with the audience because this particular topic is probably quite different than anything that I've done in the podcast so far And just to bring context to the audience a couple of, a couple of points before we dive in into 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 the thoughts the three thoughts that we've discussed for this podcast number one technology is it's as wonderful as we choose what we choose to do with it uh, a knife is a piece of technology right and we can use a knife to cut our food or to hurt someone, right? And gaming as it exists today, people don't realize, but the gaming industry its is bigger than TV, radio, and movies all combined globally right now. So yeah. it has taken over, and like you said, It involves so many different areas, so many different types of skills and talents. It used to be that when we talked about gaming, it was just a bunch of developers. You know, I'm a little bit older, so I remember the 70s Pong, right? There's a couple of developers, you know, doing some cool things at a time. But like you said, today you have musicians, you have designers, you have artists, you have the developers, you have the designers, there's there's this ecosystem to create a world that began with virtual reality and now is with augmented reality, VR versus AR. But I want to make sure that people understand why am I doing this, this podcast with you? And it's because there is obvious value from an entertainment point of view. But you and I agree that there's far more value beyond entertainment. And I think that this is the type of conversations that I want to start having, you know, in open forums and how to use this technology to really do more than just entertain, right? So just wanted to give that preface to the audience, because I know you and I have talked about this, and that kind of leads to the... To the, to the three thoughts that we've agreed to share with the audience today. So I'll let you go with the first thought on augmented reality. What is your first thought on augmented reality, Ray?
1: Yeah, thank you. So I think the augmented reality, as you mentioned, is more than just a you know transition from video games. Augmented reality really is a new medium of expression, one that is contextualized in the real world. So you can think of it a lot like a natural extension of what's been going on throughout human history, which is starting back with the invention of the spoken word and the cave painting. We've been sharing our ideas. We've been taking our experience of life and our vision and sharing it with other people that we care about. And over time, we've been able to share more and bigger ideas, and more abstract ideas, and ideas with greater clarity. So you have the written word, uh, then you have the printing press, and more people could share more ideas and learn more faster, almost like a Cambrian explosion of human creativity, where communication becomes the catalyst for big advances, not just in technology, but also in the way that humans relate with each other that we are exposed to the best and brightest of of different cultures, of different walks of life. And and the way that we are exposed is through the common medium of how we share ideas. So in fast forward, and then we have plays, and then we have cinema, uh, and and then we have obviously books and and, and modern video games allow us to kind of combine all these rich ideas. Uh, and, And what augmented reality does now is the next step And some would say it's even the last step of of our technology, because there's not really too much to imagine beyond bringing all of this crazy, awesome imagination into the real world. But what augmented reality does is it takes our imaginations and allows us to contextualize them in the real world, in a space where we can put them right next to your couch or a tree or whatever context matters for for that idea. And that, that has some profound implications on the kind of uh, experience of, of the medium, so you know, you're you're like your own cinematic director of your experience of of this medium. Whereas a movie, you know, there was a cinematic director. They they told you what to look at at that time by recording in that specific box, and they can edit it and they can make it perfect. Well, in augmented reality, uh, especially the headset wearable type that, that I work on more specifically. Every, every player, every user has their own camera angle and, and they can look wherever they want to look. So immediately stories become much more about agency and guiding someone to an outcome rather than forcing them to that outcome. And that changes completely the dynamics of telling stories and creating information and sharing information because it's a lot more like how a game designer thinks about things, which is less, I'm going to make you do X, Y, and Z and more about, I'm going to present choices to you and your choices are going to affect the outcomes of the story. So it's a very interesting evolution or even revolution of the way we tell stories.
0: So let me add something to this and for the benefit of the audience, just to make sure that I, that I keep them engaged and please keep me honest if I miss uh, if I miss something, but just wanted to kind of, provide a little context on the difference between virtual reality and augmented reality. So in virtual reality, I think people, more, more people are familiar with VR than with AR, right? In VR, you have a headset that completely isolates you from the real world, and you're 100% immersed into the digital world, right? The Oculus, I think, is one of the, the, the popular products that are out there in the market. What AR does, which is what I find it Not only interesting, but I think it could be a cornerstone to a lot of good things. Is that you're you're still in the real world? You're just seeing through a lens where you can see certain things that are projected or or portrayed in that lens, but you can still be part of the world around you, right? So you're not in this business of bumping into walls and trying to be careful of what are you going to trip over because. You still see through. That's why the term augmented, because you can you see the reality you're in, but then you see that extra that uh, gets uh, prepared by the designers and the artists and the sound and all that stuff that comes that comes with whatever it is that you're experiencing in the moment. And to me, that's a huge difference because I personally am not interested in escaping the real world. I'm very interested in making the real world better. And I see AR as a potential vehicle for that. Do you agree?
1: 100%. So, you know, I think when it comes to VR and AR, there's a lot of overlap in terms of how the technology is built and displayed. There's definitely some unique differences. And I could nerd out for hours about how cool it is that the HoloLens 2 uses the most advanced fiber optics in human history to render holograms in the world with you. But I, I won't go down that path because I think there's a more interesting nuance here that you, you touched on. I'd love to expand on, which is when you put 3D content into the real world, you do a couple things. You make it so that it is no longer uh, isolated from your environment, the content and the environment become one and the same. And, and all of a sudden the space that you experience the media is just as important as the media itself. It is a holistic integration of digital content in the real world. And that's a huge contrast from the majority of screen-based content or VR based content we have today, where, I don't think anyone is suggesting that even though we do get digital fatigue with smartphones, that we just go into a desert and pretend that technology doesn't exist anymore. I mean, unless you're going to Burning Man. and then <laughs> But you know, that's, that's a short period of time. We're not going to actually live our modern lives without technology, but we all do acknowledge that there's some potential there to have a better relationship with technology. Right. And I think that the other really important distinction here is that, It's not just the space that you're integrating the content with. But when I'm looking at my phone or I'm looking at my computer screen, what am I not doing? I'm not making eye contact with you because I can't do both at the same time. With augmented reality, that's different. I can actually be in the room with you while we're both experiencing digital content together. Even more so than if we were sitting in the same room watching a movie together, where we're both looking at a screen and maybe sometimes looking back at each other. When you put augmented reality in a room with two, three, 20 people, those people don't have to choose media or people. It is now a confluence. It is now the, the digital content composed with the people and the people then become part of the experience too. So fundamentally, that's kind of a segue into, I think, the second thought, if you're okay with this, diving into that, which is that augmented reality is fundamentally a social technology. Augmented reality is fundamentally a social technology, and that itself has new profound implications on the kind of experiences, the kind of use cases that work with augmented reality that don't work with virtual reality, um, and then that, that certainly seems sorely lacking in our previous generation of mobile technology or computer-based screens.
0: Well, that's interesting. So a, a couple of things there. Um we can say that it's a social technology, but it's actually a three-dimensional, at least, social technology, because we can argue that World of Warcraft is, world of Warcraft is social, because you have a group of people playing together, and they can hear each other through audio, but, but they can't see each other. All they can see is themselves in this, inside this digital world, right? What AR does is, you, like you said earlier, You can see each other, you can collaborate, you can have an experience together in the real world, plus that extra piece of augmentation of that reality, right? Um, And uh, I think that that's where the key difference is because that, that, that opens up for a whole new set of possibilities of helping people collaborate and not just entertain themselves. Now, one thing I wanted to... To throw at you and see your thoughts on was, when when people evaluate these types of technologies, there is well some people there's a natural resistance to say that this is just not natural, right? That you know we're going away from our uh, nature as humans, right? And what I tend to to tell people is there's a great book I highly recommend. It's called The Extended Mind by Dr. Annie Murphy-Paul. And she talks about the concept of an extended mind, which is saying whatever technology humans develop becomes part of the mind that created it, right? So it's like that concept of ontological design, of we create technology and that, that technology then recreates us back, case in point. I'm old enough to remember, you know, rotary phones. And I'm old enough to remember that I remembered dozens and dozens of phone numbers at one point in my life. Today, I don't. I I don't remember anyone's phone number, not even my kids. Why? Because I don't have to. And some people may look at that as, well, you see, that is the demise of mankind, you know, we used to be able to remember. It's like, well, not really. I have a device. If I have to, I'll, I can go back to remembering phone, phone numbers if I need to. But now I have this device, a smartphone that allows me to not have to remember those numbers, but it has extended my mind in so that I can do a myriad of other things, right? That I would not be able to do without that technology. So, want to get your thoughts on this icar very soon being in that same playing field in other words it is it could be part of an extension it's an extension to our minds to be able to accomplish things in a collaborative social way that without that technology it wouldn't be possible what are your thoughts
1: yeah, really interesting um, set of ideas there. And I, I'd love to kind of, yes, and a few of them. So on the idea that technology is somehow not natural, I think that is a very real response to people feeling isolated or people feeling pulled apart uh, by you know certain kinds of technology today. And that's real. And I think ignoring that would be you know, a a folly to say that, you know, talking with someone through Facebook is the same as talking with them in person. It's different. We all know we can feel it's different. Um, You know, you don't have the same sort of entrainment with someone when you're talking online as you do when you're in person. There's actual physiological differences there. Um, You don't get oxytocin when you send someone a like, um, like you do when you give someone a hug. Uh, And, you know, at the same time, there's certain parts of technology which are very human, like I can get triggered really easily online if I look at some content that doesn't really um, resonate with me. Uh, So it's got this interesting, you know, pseudo natural, but also something different going on there. But at the same time, um, fundamentally, humans are a technological species. It's the thing that we can do that other mammals and other animals can't do. We can learn and we can share those learnings socially. Uh, it's language is a technology uh, by the truest definition of the word language itself is a technology, our ability to communicate, pass on ideas and learn from uh, people that came before us and our peers is what makes us different as a species. And, and I think you can't, you can't take the, the fun parts of being a human without saying that, okay, sometimes we're going to invent things that uh, have consequences that we can't figure out. I think the important thing to do is to recognize when we've invented a technology that has power to do both uh, benefit and harm, to figure out how to isolate the harmful effects or remove the harmful effects of that technology, or at least build social norms to prevent the harmful effects of that technology while at the same time preserving the good that makes us human. And a great example this is cars. You know, when we first invented cars, we didn't have the concept of sidewalks and roads. It took us a while to figure that out, that cars and people should not be in the same space together. And, you know, you could have said back then that cars are evil, they run into people, they're bad. But really, we just needed to adopt new social norms around how to integrate that technology with our lives better. And when we do find ways to integrate technology with our mores and our life ways, really amazing things can happen. Like a simple example is we couldn't support the level of human population we have today without advances in agriculture, just full stop. It would not be as much human life flourishing today if we had not used technology to overcome the limitations of our older versions of agriculture. Agriculture. But then another example to, to, to recontextualize it on augmented reality. So we, we all know what reading is like. We've read books before. And when you get lost in a book, you, your entire world gets transformed, right? It's called suspense of disbelief. It can happen in a great movie. It can happen in a great radio show. Uh, but what's interesting about learning through different contexts is our brains evolved to learn in 3D. Learning through a book, reading through a book, is kind of like taking a supercomputer and trying to shove information through an old dial-up modem. Um, We're flattening it, we're fundamentally removing a layer of depth and then creating all these layers of translation that our brains need to figure out. Now, to to make this example very specific, imagine seeing uh, a 3D animated uh, medical image of a human heart, right? Um, If it's in a book, you can see it from one direction, you can kind of see where some of the things go in and out, but you don't really get a sense for, how the arteries connect or how they interweave together. And if your job was to plan a surgery where you needed to, um, you know, go in and do something with that heart, it'd be very difficult to do that with just a single 2D image. Um, But now in 3D with augmented reality, you can actually see an animated 3D human heart as though it was sitting there floating in front of you with magic. Uh, and, And that's not just an academic example. There are real doctors using 3D animated heart visualizations to save lives now, to plan surgeries better, to avoid, uh, you, know, you know, all the, the mistakes that could be occurred if you, if you just had a 2D slice of something. Um, there's a great company that's based up, uh, out of Lake Nona or that has offices in Lake Nona um, that's doing exactly that. But it's not just true of, you know, surgeons and hearts. Really, all of human learning can be improved when you make it 3D and, and geolocate. And in fact, there's this great study by MIT that had nothing to do with 3D, but everything to do with geolocation in contextual learning. And what they did was they had two groups of people practice a form of rote memorization. One group of people learned the Super Bowl scores uh, throughout the years just by looking at a piece of paper and memorizing it. Just classic, you know, look at the thing, memorize it. The other group of people had flashcards where the names of the teams and the scores were associated with... Uh, aspects of, of the quad as they walk through it. So like, you know, the Bears won and they associate that with the basketball courts. And then, you know, the, the Niners won and that's associated with the dorms. So they walk throughout campus and they associate each one of these memories with a physical location. And I don't have the specifics on the top. I have but directionally these numbers are about correct. The, 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 the group of people that memorized and using the, the numbers from a piece of paper uh, they, they had forgotten most of them within a year, as, as you would, because it's just random information. It's very difficult to make sticky connections in the brain with random information. Uh, but the folks that learned it from walking around the campus, they developed deep connections and could remember it 30 years later. Like 80% of the people or something like that could remember those scores because they had a, con- a context. Um, our brains are involved are to uptake and store information with 3D context, be it the, the image itself being in 3D or the space of the context where, where it's located. So, you know, technology itself can make us more human when we can bring our interface with information into the real world.
0: Well, that's very, very interesting. It's actually very consistent. There's a book that I quote often in this podcast it's called A Thousand Brains by Jeff Hawkins. And he talks about concepts, most important concepts about our our human brain is the fact that it has to account for movement, Um, and it is because of movement that it it uses that as 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 a vehicle to store data and and how to connect the data in our brain. Without movement, uh, we lose a big piece of our humanity. So it makes a lot of sense that once you get into this world of augmented reality, you're leaving the book, you're leaving the computer, you're leaving the phone, and now you're in the world, interacting with the world, and interacting with additional elements through that augmentation of reality. So it makes perfect sense that the brain could, could feel at home because everything is three-dimensional in nature.
1: Yeah, and I, I think that's you know a really interesting thread to tie together to the the aspects of gaming that actually really benefit the medium of of augmented reality that kind of come from my earlier career. There's a lot of lot of crossover there. Um, and at the same time, we've touched on a little bit, there's a little bit of challenge that we're still trying to figure out when it comes to technology. And we touched on it a little bit, but I'd love to jump into the third thought, if that's all right with you, which yep. is that augmented reality can be a solution for a lot of our challenges with technology today. So if anyone has kids, I'm sure they're familiar with how much kids are exposed to technology um, these days in ways that you know our generation or previous generations um, could only dream of, you know, kids having social media from uh, you know, middle school or grade school. Uh, kids growing up with touchscreens and expecting to have a dopamine hit every time they press a button. Um, you know, people losing themselves in addiction to everything from Farmville to World of Warcraft. These are real issues and they have real impacts, let alone kind of the the, the almost emergent echo chambers that result from connecting people based upon shallow interest groups um, as opposed to more broader base like national or cultural identities. Um, And and I haven't seen myself any really good holistic solutions to a lot of these technologies because I think fundamentally folks might be missing the core problem here. And the core problem is not that we are, you know, more connected on Facebook and that people can say what they want to say. That's actually probably a good thing. The problem is that we're not removing the ability to mix together, We're removing the the world as a place where we all naturally connect and meet up. Um, And at the same time, you know, in the games industry, there, there's plenty of folks who may have uh, been able to overcome um, social uh, uh, isolation or fears by joining digital communities, by, by participating in, in community groups or guilds, um, by finding a sense of, of shared identity in their digital personas. They could take on new lives and actually express themselves more fully. So I think the real question we have to answer is how do we bridge that gap? between our digital identities and our digital meta-brains, if you will, uh, and the real world where we all exist with atoms and (laughs) um, can experience life together. And that's where augmented reality really comes in to save the day. Augmented reality, in one sense, is that bridge between our digital world and the physical world. It is both. You can't have an augmented reality application uh, or, or bit of content without both the physical context, the social context that's appearing, and the digital creative that brought it together. So if all augmented reality did was bring the the issues we've got with Twitter into the real world, well, at least then I'm talking with someone in the real world, as opposed to talking at a caricature of that person through a, a, a 120 character limit. Because once we get into the real world, once we are sharing physical space, Magical things really do start to happen. We start to see each other's humanity. We can start to connect with each other and practice empathy more uh, more acutely. We can start to feel and see each other's perspectives more naturally. Now it's not a, 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 a panacea solution. We're still going to have to do work to understand each other's perspectives, but being in the same space, being in the same physical world and getting ourselves mobile, walking around, um, agile, is I think one of the really exciting things about augmented reality. And here's a great example. There are people who will spend hundreds, thousands of hours improving the stats of their digital characters in, in massively multiplayer online games like World of Warcraft uh, or RPGs like Final Fantasy. They'll, they'll quest, they'll increase their strength, they'll go find you know hidden loot they'll run shops they'll gain digital money and and those same people sometimes really struggle to bring that same sort of discipline and rigor into their personal lives because oftentimes what's getting them to do it in the game is a set of interactive choices where the results and the progress and the payoffs are simple and clear now as it turns out you, know, you invest a hundred hours a thousand hours into your own physical condition in the real world you'll start to improve your physical condition. If you invest a thousand hours into real-world entrepreneurship, you will improve your financial condition. But what's oftentimes lacking in the real world is that same sense of progress or incremental improvement that video games provide so simply to folks. That's another example. If you can bring some of those guides and mechanisms that have been so successful in games into the real world, people can start to play the character of themselves and start to improve their physical avatar, who they want to be. They can start to see the choices they make in the real world as as being choices that affect their lives and their outcomes. And for me, that's one of the most exciting things because I think that's really where we get to the core of what I'm doing here with augmented reality. And that's really trying to rewrite our relationship with technology and then make it more positive, make it something that we, we feel like enriches us and makes us more human and more creative and, and more collaborative.
0: Oh, Fantastic. I, there's so much there that we could continue talking for hours, but I wanted to, it's amazing that you brought the Twitter example because that's exactly where I was going. I, I really never felt comfortable with the idea that it is the town hall. Because it's not. Because I don't know anyone there. All I know is what they write. I can't see them. I can't interact with them. It's like you said, it's a a caricature at best. It is a caricature of the individual for a very specific slice of that individual, right? Which is whatever topic is being discussed in that moment. In a real town hall, you can actually see the person. You can actually interact with the person. And you can see the totality of the person, not just a slice of their personality. So I I was at Twitter for a little while and I couldn't handle it. I, I had to bail out because it was just, it is a forum where in a way it has the potential to do the opposite. Again, it's also a technology. The technology in itself is not bad. It's how people choose to use it. And, but some technologies are better than others. And I think Tools like Twitter or technologies like Twitter more easily bring the worst out of us, right? Whereas I think that once you get to be in a world, either in the physical world, you know, as you are, as we are right now, or through um, augmented reality, it is more difficult to lose our humanity because we're surrounded by the environment we we we're, we're in the environment we can see each other we can interact with each other so it becomes a bit more of a challenge to depart from ourselves because that's what we're that's the starting point we're not hiding behind a screen we're not hiding behind a pc or an app we are in the world interacting and whether it's you know, collaborating or learning from each other, whatever the case may be, depending on the application, that's that's irrelevant. It is you are now truly in a potential town hall situation. So I, that's the part about it that excites me because I feel like it is a turning point in the technologies we've had available to us for the past 10, 15 years with social media, which tend to in a way dehumanize us because we feel more protected because we're behind something, we're behind a keyboard, we're behind a screen, and we don't have to deal with all aspects of become of, of being a human. Do, do you agree?
1: 100%. I think that where we're at right now uh, as, as a society, as a global society, and as, as a national society and, and all the different other identities that we have, we're in a, a unique time in human history, but it's not totally unique. I think that if you look back uh, in, in, in big history terms, there's been several examples uh, throughout our human story where our technology uh, ha- exceeded the existing social system's ability to coordinate and keep people um, engaged with, with, with the, 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 whatever political system was in place at the time. Um, and, and you see, you know, rapid periods of change uh, precipitated by folks learning more about the world, about themselves, um, you know, increasing prosperity, and also um, divisions and um, the, the, the 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 not uh, equal representation of folks as they as they come to appreciate um, what, what they can achieve. Usually this is as a result of some new information technology, some like writing or the printing press providing greater clarity for folks across across the, the world. And you know the internet was not invented that long ago. You know it feels hard to imagine life um, without the internet today. As you mentioned, you know not only can I not remember anyone's phone number, but if you asked me to drive <laughs> from here to you know two towns over uh, and and find something that I've been to probably twenty times uh, without you know, Google Maps or some other direction service, I might struggle. Um, at the same time, you know, when I learned to drive back before there were these map um, systems, I, I could tell you every single street name just because I needed to back then. So we're at this time where what it means to be a human has been under rapid evolution and in the the pace, in the the scale of a single lifetime, um, things are very different now than they were before. And I I think that as a society, we're starting to feel a tension between how fast things are advancing and, and how much technology can facilitate um, a different way of living. So I think it's imperative that we find ways to be adaptive and to leverage new technologies to learn faster, to connect more, to create more fully as we're undergoing massive transformation. You know, one example of this is uh, generative AI, which has has really come on the scene uh, in a powerful way, really only in the last six months to 12 months, uh, where for a long time, I think the conventional wisdom was most of the manual jobs like heavy lifting would be the first to be replaced by artificial intelligence and, and robotics. And and to some extent, some of them have been. Um, but I think we, we thought as a society that it would be a very long time before AI was creating compelling art or compelling stories um, or, or programming. Uh, and, and here we find ourselves with these new learning uh, language models, uh, large language models, that uh, AI is is really creating a very powerful question for us, which is, you know, when, when an AI can create something that, excites or delights um, what happens to the role of the artist what happens to the role of the creator is ai um, a competitor is ai a tool uh, is ai a distraction and again i think you know as a as a, as a you know a, a optimist humanist technologist somewhere in between all that i'd like to think that we can find ways to integrate ai in a positive way in an example it would be very easy for the next generation of technology to evolve, where only a few people had access to create 3D media. You know, making a game is a very complex endeavor. It, it takes artists, designers, producers, engineers, all the people I mentioned earlier. It's, it's really out of reach for most people, uh, certainly all the people that could create a YouTube video. There's many people who can create a great YouTube video. There's many less people who can make a compelling 3D video game. And, and when you get into augmented reality, the, the disparity is even greater. There's a very small subset of the human population today that can create easily uh, a, a good, compelling piece of augmented reality content. And that means that if we don't fix that problem, if we don't bridge that gap, that the next generation of computing is going to be uh, birthed and controlled by a very limited subset of the human population. So, you know, if, if you like power dynamics like that, that's a good thing. If you like um, democratizing our information and our media and our relationship with technology, then we need to solve for that. And, and that's an area where I think generative AI could be really helpful. I think that the promise of generative AI is not to replace humans in the equation of creativity, kind of far from that. I look at AI as being an incredible tool, one in which a individual can start to create more, to create more complex, uh, to create depth and nuance, and, and not remove the number of creators in the world, but really multiply the output of the number of creators in the world and democratize access to these technologies such that we're not, you know, handing the keys to the castle of humanity to you know a few executives uh, on Sand Hill Road, but instead we are welcoming you know the human population to participate in how we define technology and our relationship with it into the future.
0: Now, well, that sounds great, Ray. That sounds great. That's exactly what, why I'm interested in this and why I, want, I wanted to speak with you and why I have some ideas on a couple of projects we've already discussed that we should start talking about more seriously because that is exactly what I believe AR can do for mankind is, is to, to make things less isolating, uh, to, to, to get people to, to work together a bit better. We, 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 we seem to have gone through a time where we were a society, say a community in the 60s, 70s, depending, 80s and 90s, depending on what part of the world you're from. And then with the advances in technology, we seem to isolate ourselves and hide behind keyboards and hide behind smartphones. We don't call each other anymore. We text each other. We don't go show up at anybody's home to visit, we have to make an appointment and look at the calendar, blah, blah, blah. Right. I think AR has an opportunity to eliminate some of that isolation. And that's where I want. That's what I want to work on. That's what I wanna put my my grain of, of sand there to be able to be part of something like that. Any final thoughts? We're out of time, but any final thoughts you want to leave the audience with?
1: Well, no, this was this was really fun, Raphael, and I think yeah, it, it's important work. It is important work. There's not too many times in human history where there's such a profound change in not only technology but media. Um, so for other folks who are interested in in doing this, um, it's it's a green green field. It's a blue ocean. There's so many amazing things to be done right now, and not enough people um, as of yet are are participating. So uh, the, the the water's nice. You know, jump on in. It's a fun place to play. There's really incredible stuff happening, um, incredible advancements every day, and, uh, and just a, a really interesting time to be alive.
0: Great. Ray Kallmeier, founder, CEO, technologist, innovator, visionary, and humanist. Thank you for your time. I'll see you in the office later. Thank you. Pleasure to be here.